Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. We just sang in that hymn, um, expressing what a backwards thing it would be for mortal men to be ashamed of Jesus, the Son of God who is worshipped by angels in heaven. It's as absurd as evening being ashamed of the stars in the sky. The song asked, well, why would any of us be ashamed of, of that dear friend on whom our hopes of heaven depend, namely Jesus Christ? And, well, what, what does it mean to be ashamed? The dictionary describes it as, as to be humiliated or embarrassed or guilty because of one's actions, characteristics, or associations. We, we've been preaching through here at Mirnasa the uh, second letter of Paul to Timothy, um, in this new year, and uh, in chapter 1, Paul had encouraged Timothy not to be ashamed of his own testimony of faith in Jesus, or, or of Paul, who was in prison because of his verbal faith in Jesus. And Paul had told Timothy that he himself wasn't ashamed of his own imprisonment for the cause of Christ, and, and wouldn't be ashamed even though many believers in Asia had deserted him. And now as we get to the second part of chapter 2, Paul again talks about not being ashamed. <clears throat> but, but here he describes what it means to be an unashamed worker in the work of the Christian church. I invite you to look with me at, at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. And, and would you please stand in reverence to God's word today as I read. <clears throat> Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has, not, has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who, who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word, uh, to Timothy and, and to us as well. Lord, and, and help us that as we meditate on it today, you would speak to each of our hearts about what it means to 
live our lives in a relationship with you and to not be ashamed no matter what. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Have any of you ever been ashamed of your work in some way? I remember a handful of times where I, as a farm boy working for my dad or on my uncle's farm, was ashamed of something from my work. Usually it involved a machinery breakdown, which may or may not have been my fault that day, but but still it was embarrassing to to bring home uh, farm equipment in pieces. Or, or worse yet, to not even be able to bring it home because it was stuck in the mud someplace or at one time uh, was broken and left sitting on the railroad tracks. Uh, one particular time I was ashamed, though, was in the spring of the year. Dad had sent me out to cultivate a field with his biggest tractor. It was a 1066 International and uh, to prepare that field for seeding. And he had specifically told me, you know, when you're circling those wet spots out there, don't worry about getting too close. Well, I thought, you know, just one more round, you know, that cultivator wing hangs out there ways. I think this, might as well do that. And I sunk that tractor down to its back axles. I had to walk home and and tell Dad. And then he had to call a neighbor uh, to help to pull it out. It's embarrassing, both for me, well, Dad, and, and, yeah, probably others in the family as well. Um, So how about in, in the work of the Christian church? Paul wants Timothy to not be ashamed of his work. And so what is this exhortation to Timothy and to us here too in Christ's church today? What he addresses here is, is partly then preparation and work ethic, but it's also then the mindset that we have as Christians. In, in other words, what our sense of identity is, who we see ourselves to be, and what we believe that we are living our lives here for. And, and so as we walk through this here, I notice first of all that unashamed workers in the Christian church are, are ones who handle accurately the word of truth. We Christians, you see, have been entrusted with a very precious book, the Bible, God's holy word. In, in 2 Peter, it tells us that it's not cleverly devised tales about Jesus that we have here in our hands, but, but rather it is eyewitness accounts uh, of those who knew and followed him during his three years of earthly ministry. And so it's not for us then to come up with our own interpretation of the events surrounding the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus or of other things recorded in the scriptures. But it tells us that men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God to record it. And then we have a responsibility to study it and to know it and to accurately pass it on. And we want to handle it accurately so that we don't need to be ashamed of our work. And it's interesting, as you look at verse 15 here then, it's telling us here that this involves then cutting it straight and not swerving. Let me explain here. That that verb in verse 15 here that we translate in our English, rightly handling or accurately handling, the word of truth literally means to cut straight. Well, an example comes to my mind would be this. If, If you're plowing a field, that first cut across the field needs to be a straight line. If it isn't, then each additional trip across the field gets more and more crooked. And you know, my dad liked it to look good from the road uh, when the neighbors drove by. And that's why those big ruts out there in that wet spot uh, that spring were so embarrassing because they stayed there for anyone to see for a whole season. Well, good workers in Christ church cut straight as they preach and they teach God's word when they are true to the scripture. 
not adding to or subtracting to what it says. Letting the law that is therein uh, speak with all of its sternness to convict of sin. And letting the gospel then speak with all of its sweetness to comfort repentant sinners. John Stott describes it this way, and I quote, They handle the word with such meticulous care that they both stay on the path themselves, keeping to the highway and avoiding the side streets, and they make it easy for others to follow. Paul writing to Timothy concerning his handling accurately the word of truth explains then that this also means avoiding irreverent babble and quarreling about words. Verse 14, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Paul is exhorting to be careful in what we argue about. We can get into arguments, arguments over religion where our disagreements end up being mere semantics and, and side issues that really don't matter. And, and Paul is saying that getting carried away with such leads to the ruin of those that are listening. And, and so leaders in the Christian church in particular need to be careful that they don't major in the minors and, and get so adamant about things that really they don't really know for sure or they don't really matter and their hearers then get disillusioned and they fall away from the faith altogether. Paul also says to be careful what we talk about and to be careful not to propose ideas that run contrary to what the Bible says. If you look at verse 16 here, um, one translation says, but avoid irreverent babble. Another describes it as avoid worldly and empty chatter. And another says shun profane and vain babblings talking about things that aren't appropriate or, or, or talking with no useful purpose. Why avoid such? It says that it will lead to further ungodliness. It doesn't really help one become more godly. It rather has the opposite effect. And Paul mentions next here then some examples of those that have swerved uh, in what they're teaching and the effect that has had then on others. He mentions Hymenius and, and he had met mentioned him once before in, in uh, 1 Timothy, and, and here he mentions also then Philetus. And, and we know very little about these guys, but that they had swerved from the truth of God's word, particularly regarding the resurrection. God's word clearly declares in all four gospels, and in, really in about every other book in the New Testament, that Jesus physically rose from the dead. And several places in the New Testament, it also makes clear that because Jesus physically rose from the dead, Someday, at his return to the earth, our bodies too will rise from the grave to physical life again. Well, these guys were saying, that's not going to happen. The resurrection for us is just a spiritual experience. It's already taken place. These days, there are those that speak about the resurrection and claim to be leaders in the Christian church, and they say, well, you know, Jesus never really even physically rose from the dead at all, nor will we. And, and in the process, and they're denying the supernatural, and, and, and they're destroying the faith of many who listen. And someday they'll answer to God for their heresy, and, and they will be ashamed. The, the danger of having false teachers in the church, teachers who don't handle accurately the word of truth, is that their false teaching spreads. Um, it, it spreads like crazy. Um, verse 17, their, their talk spreads like gangrene. Well, gangrene is, is serious. If, if it's in the body and it doesn't get cleaned up right away, it spreads. And sometimes amputations are necessary uh, to save the rest of the body. Without the amputation, the whole body might die. 
And that's exactly what's happening in, in many mainline denominations in Christian church, even in our country today. The Word of God in the Bible has become so compromised on gender and moral issues, for instance, and even on the way of salvation, that that gangrene has spread to the point of where there are groups that are splitting off from the denominations lest the whole body die. And as Pastor Ryan mentioned, that's the subject even of of his uh, class for adult Sunday school today. You you see, when, when people become more concerned about what other people in the world think than what God says, then they're on dangerous ground. Well, unashamed workers in the Christian church handle accurately the word of truth. They also consider themselves to be vessels for honorable use. Verse 20 talks about that here. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. You see, in biblical days, most containers weren't made out of plastic like they are today. Um, a, A lot of household containers were made out of wood or clay. And a few might be made out of precious metals like silver or gold. Well, those that are made out of wood and clay would be used for common things, uh, like carrying water or storing food and so on, and even for carrying out human waste, uh, which would be an example of a vessel for dishonorable use. Well, those that are made of gold and silver would be used for some special occasions, and they would be used in a, in a, a rich household uh, for serving the master of that household. That was honorable use. And Paul's point in this illustration is that the Christian is to recognize his own body as to be like a container or a vessel. And to ask Timothy, and then asking you and I today as well, what kind of vessel are you? How do you see yourself? What will you use your body for? Will you be a vessel of honor, um, reserving your body to serve the master? Or will you use it for things that are dishonorable? And there are a few related points to draw out here as you look at verses 19 to 21 then. Vessels for honorable use are known by their master. Verse 19, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And as a master would know what gold and silver containers he owned, so the Lord knows those who are his. In John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as a good shepherd, and there he says, I know my own, and my own know me. And and, that should be a great comfort for us who are believers in Jesus Christ, who know then a two-way relationship with him. And and we are here to serve him. And, And so vessels for honorable use are known by him. They're also cleansed by him. Um, Verse 21 we look at that in a bit here, but the, the text here there is actually speaking of a person cleansing himself. And I need to just step away from that for a second and say um, that on the one hand is something we're completely unable to do. We sinners are helpless vessels in, in, and we need to be cleansed by Jesus. And, and he does that for us as he forgives repentant and believing sinners. He, he removes our guilt and, and we're clothed with his righteousness instead of our own unrighteousness. And that is an awesome thing to know. And let me just say that no one can be an honorable vessel until he has faced his own sinfulness and been cleansed by Jesus. But what Paul is talking about here in verse 21 is our part then in this business of sanctification, which involves then putting aside some things that we used to use our body for in order to dedicate ourselves to serve our new master. And that involves then, as he goes on in verse 22, fleeing youthful passions and pursuing godliness. 
If there are situations in the world around us that would trigger us to follow the ways of the world and live to satisfy our own fleshly desires, we're to flee those things, run from them. And we're to actively pursue things that will help us walk in a relationship with God and live a life of godliness. Because we now view ourselves as set apart for his servants. And, and so that means then, like we wouldn't use those offering plates there um, and, and use them out in the sandbox and, to make uh, sandcastles or something. And we wouldn't use the baptismal font here for a punch bowl or something like that. Um, so we need to think of our bodies as set apart for a special purpose of serving our Lord Jesus. Uh, we want to be useful to him. We're not here just for decoration, but, but to serve our master. And that's who the Lord Jesus is for us as Christians. He is our master. And that term master denotes then someone who has absolute ownership. Everything that we have, including our very selves, belongs to him. And our purpose each day for, as Christians then is to be useful to him. And each of us have different things to accomplish in our lives. No two are the same. And some will have a, a short time to be useful. Some will have far longer. But how important to live with that mindset. We're not here just to satisfy our own pleasures, but we're here to be useful to our master. And, and Paul talks about in verse 21 how we live with that daily mindset, then we are prepared for every good work. Sometimes as you look ahead as a Christian, you wonder how you're going to handle some difficulties that seem to be on the horizon, or, or maybe how to handle an opportunity that comes our way. Well, in ourselves, we know that we are weak, we are inept, we are unprepared to accomplish anything worthwhile in our lives. But if we'll believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and allow him to cleanse us of our sin and change our hearts, and if we give our lives then to his service, then we will be useful to him. And he will prepare us for every good work. Look also at verses 24 to 26 here. And Paul then goes on to explain how unashamed workers are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to explain that the attitudes that servants of Jesus Christ have, what, what they are or what, what they should exemplify. Uh, just the opposite of the false teachers that Paul described earlier that just love to quarrel about words. Here he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents, with gentleness. Not quarrelsome, but kind. And that means even to those that aren't kind to us. Patiently enduring evil. You know, that's a hard thing to do. When we are attacked, we want to defend ourselves and even strike back verbally. But the Lord's servants are to remember, you know, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. He's the one that I'm to point my attackers to. He's the one that they will one day have to answer to. And so the Lord's servant is to be also able to teach and gently correcting opponents. Though he's not to go out looking for an argument, he's also not to back down on things where God's word is clearly revealed, or, or, and not to speculate on things when, which scripture has clearly defined. Stott says this, and I quote, when, when people forsake revelation for speculation, they have no agreed-upon authority and no impartial court of appeal. They lapse into pure subjectivism and so into profitless argument in which one person's opinion is as good or bad as another's, end quote. And so we are called to stand on the truth of God's word no matter what, 
but at the same time recognize that the tone with which we take that stand really does make a difference. And here he reminds them, correct your opponents with gentleness. And as we look at the end of verse 25 and then into verse 26, we see why that is, that we as servants of the Lord are to be willing to endure even being verbally abused and to respond with kindness and gentleness. It's because of this. Because we are hoping that that makes a difference. We are hoping that through us, even then, God uses us uh, to grant them repentance. So that they come to the senses. They come to realize their sinful rebellion against God and realize their arrogance and they humble themselves and they turn to Jesus. And they submit themselves to the authority of the word of God. And in so doing, it tells us, then they escape the devil's snare and they gain knowledge of the truth. Well, as we draw this to a close today, we, we who are Christians realize that our, our lives are flying by and it seems like it just picks up speed as we get older. And this should cause us then to ask ourselves, what's the most important thing in my life? What am I really living for? I don't want to reach the end and be ashamed of my work. And Paul reminds us that the unashamed workers in Christian church handle accurately the word of truth. They consider themselves to be vessels set apart for the master's use and to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is also considered a pro-life Sunday and we recognize the preciousness of human life, no matter what age, and that God has a plan for each and every one of them. And uh, having a little child brought to the Lord in baptism is a good picture for us of that. I want to share with you an amazing and true story. Um, I have relatives who served for two generations uh, as missionaries in Madagascar from 1928 up until the 1990s. And in the early years of the Lutheran mission in Madagascar, the natives were steeped in, in tribal religions that were very superstitious. And, and they were told by the witch doctor that if a baby was born on certain days of the year that were considered to be evil days, that baby should not be allowed to live or it would bring evil to the entire family. And so mothers were instructed to then, in such situations, place that little child on an anthill and leave it there. Or, or place it in the cattle pen to be trampled to death by the cattle. In one such situation, there was a grandmother who had become a Christian, and she snatched up that infant and she brought it to the Lutheran orphanage to be cared for by the sisters of the Minneapolis Deaconess Hospital that served there on the mission field. And years later, the man that became the first vice president of the country of Madagascar revealed he was that child that had been rescued by his grandmother and raised there in the orphanage of the Lutheran Mission. God had a plan for that child. Like he had a plan for Moses, who, who was rescued from the bulrushes back in the Old Testament. And we had another scripture read earlier today that reminded us God had a plan for the baby Jesus. And he protected him from King Herod. And because God protected that life, we have a savior from sin. May God help each of us to look on each human life as, as precious in his sight, as eternal souls for whom Christ died. And may he help us to be unashamed workers in his kingdom, handling accurately the word of truth, considering ourselves vessels set apart for the master's use, and servants of our Lord Jesus Christ, helping others to come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for your word today and, and what it teaches us here concerning uh, the focus of our lives. 
Lord, we thank you that in Jesus there's forgiveness of all sin and there's eternal life. And that, that changes every aspect of our life from there on. And so, Lord, help us that we would live our lives um, as, as your servants, as vessels for, for you, the master's use. Help us that we would also treasure this book you have given us, your word, and, and we would handle it carefully and accurately so that we pass it on to others, that they, they too would know uh, salvation in Jesus Christ and, and would walk in a relationship with him. And Lord, we just thank you for the fellowship of believers here, and we pray that you would be at work in each heart and life uh, to draw them to yourself. And Lord, that as we look around at people around us, we would recognize them as, as precious eternal souls for whom Christ died. And Lord, you'd use us to help to point some of them to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.